1940, Mort Weisinger was an editor for Thrilling Publications. It was there that he created the character Captain Future for his own eponymous pulp science fantasy series. Most of the pulps were written by Edmund Hamilton, who would go on to write Batman comics as well as Legion of Superheroes, and Hamilton's literary agent was Julius Schwartz. In fact, there's an old anecdote where Schwartz and Hamilton were living together. Hamilton would be typing stories at a penny per word with each line of text running about ten words. And whenever Julius would hear the ding of the typewriter as he would shift back, he would count his one cent royalty as the literary agent. Another penny! In the pulps, Captain Future was the orphan son of two brilliant scientists who had been killed by a space criminal. Curtis Newton was raised by the brain of one of his parents' scientist friends, which was housed in a floating case a la Futurama. And this surrogate decapitated parent was helped by a robot named Grag and a shape-shifting android named Otho. They had adventures through the solar system, which in the 1940s were still thought to potentially be inhabited by humanoid species. And Curtis Newton, being fame-shy, took on the gnome day adventure Captain Future. In the Pulps, his arch-nemesis was Ol Quorn, who was half Martian, half Earthling, and the son of the criminal that killed Newton's parents. Captain Future continues to have a dedicated fan base, most especially in Japan, where he was the star of 53 episodes of his own ongoing series, and analogs for the Captain Future cast were featured in a live-action show that filled in for a season of Captain Ultra. In Germany, they're still trying to get a live-action movie made in 3D. And you can see a Captain Future poster hanging in the apartment of Leonard and Sheldon on the television sitcom The Big Bang Theory. Captain Future was credited as the inspiration for Captain Comet, who debuted 11 years later in the cover dated June 1951 issue of Strange Adventures No. 9. He was created by editor Julius Schwartz, writer John Broom, and artist Carmine Infantino. The recently deceased Silver Age great Murphy Anderson is more associated with the art on the book because he took it over just two issues in with Strange Adventures No. 12, though other artists would draw the strip, most notably Gil Kane. However, John Broom wrote every strange adventure of Captain Comet in his original run. He was a mystery to himself. Why, young Adam Blake wanted to know, was he so different from other people? How did it happen that there was no one else like him in the whole wide world? Where did he really come from? Who was he? All these questions, which might have unsettled an ordinary mind, only served to wet the brain and steal the metal of the extraordinary youth who, without knowing it, was fated to fulfill a grand and awe-inspiring destiny on Earth as Captain Comet, first man of the future. Read now the startling story of... The Origin of Captain Comet by John Broom, writing as Edgar Ray Merritt, Carmine Infantino, and Bernard Sachs. Two decades ago, about 1931, a comet appeared over a Midwestern town as Adam Blake was born in a small city amid humble surroundings. Named after his grandfather, Adam's dad was expecting great things with the comet as a good sign, but his mother admonished, Oh, John, don't talk that way. All I want is for him to be just like everyone else. This was not to be, as Adam just knew things, like the location of missing objects by age four. At eight, he could memorize whole textbooks in minutes. By high school, he could pick up a musical instrument and figure out how to play it expertly in no time without any instruction. In college, no one could tackle him on the football field as though he knew in advance where his opponents were headed. But despite his successes, Adam was a lonely young man. I'm not like everybody else. I I try to be, but I'm not. And people sense it and avoid me. Blake was capable of doing anything he set his mind to, almost effortlessly, saving a beautiful classmate named Betty from a potentially deadly fall. Blake discovered he could catch her telekinetically from yards away by mental force. Yet he questioned why a person should have a power like that and went to the wisest man he knew for help, physicist Professor Emery Zachrow. The brilliant old fellow ran a battery 
battery of tests to determine Blake possessed powers of telepathy, clairvoyance, mind over matter, and a tireless superhuman physique. You've heard, I'm sure, of human throwbacks. Men born today with the minds and bodies of the cavemen of 100,000 years ago. Well, think of the opposite of that. Scientifically, there's no reason why the opposite, an accidental specimen of future man, should not happen. It just never has, Adam. Until now, you are a mutant born by chance. Zachro concluded, Blake wasn't sure what to do with his gifts, though he hoped to benefit mankind. Zachro urged him to keep them under wraps for the present until a considered decision could be made. In the meantime, Blake used his high-end intellect to correct errors in Zachro's solar reducer, a machine that could extract gold particles from sunlight. Randomly, Blake's breakthrough was made in earshot of gangsters who had been charting Zachro's development and sought to kidnap this new kid genius. Fearless and possessed of exceptional ability, Blake fought off the men with his incredible strength and martial prowess. This led to gunfire, but Blake telekinetically slowed a bullet in midair, allowing it to bounce harmlessly off his chest. Blake finished the fisticuffs and turned the three hoods over to police. Later, Zachro bemoaned the foolishness as his $10,000 machine would take over a year to collect $100 worth of gold. However, a lesson was learned that Blake's revealing his powers would only bring unscrupulous opportunists out of the woodwork. For safety, Zachro urged Blake to maintain his secret and if he must employ his powers for good, to do so in a new secret identity. Meanwhile, giant tops began appearing around the globe, wrecking everything in their path and shrugging off A-bombs without a scratch. This motivated Blake to don a colorful uniform and inspired by the unknown comet that appeared at his birth, assume the name Captain Comet. How he would fare against the tops would remain a mystery until the next episode. History is written by the victors, and since the comic book medium has mostly been defined by superheroes, superhero fans decided that the Golden Age ran from 1938 to 1948, and then began again in 1956 with the debut of The Flash. However, it's worth noting that the superhero boom of the late 30s and early 40s had already begun to crest before the end of World War II, and most of the famous DC heroes were no longer in publication by 1950. The primary superheroes still in print are Superman, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, Captain Marvel, and Plastic Man. Man, with Green Arrow and Aquaman still being carried as backup strips in anthologies. In 1950, the Estes Kefauver Committee began surveying comic book companies, searching for causes and a means to curtail juvenile delinquency that was rising at that time. That same year, Julie Schwartz began Strange Adventures. In the 1970s, writer Paul Levitz came up with the bit of retroactive continuity that put the Justice Society of America in front of the House Un-American Activities Commission, and the JSA's unwillingness to unmask to prove that they were not in bed with the Reds forced them into retirement. Both in fact and in fiction, the Justice Society and the recognized DC Comics superheroes were mostly gone by the early 1950s. Meanwhile, Captain Comet, supposedly a science fiction hero but with some strong superheroic leanings, arrived in 1951 and was featured in a strip that ran mostly monthly through 1954, his entire original heroic career taking place between the official dates listed for the end of the Golden Age and the beginning of the Silver Age. Some people refer to this period as the Atomic Age, and essentially Captain Comet was the only superhero within its confines. He predated John Jones, the from Mars. In fact, his career was over with before John Jones ever appeared, and the same was true of the Barry Allen Flash, who is seen as officially inaugurating the Silver Age of Comics.
people on Earth were dying from lack of air. Mysterious machines had landed, invulnerable to attack, that were drawing away the world's precious atmosphere. But in the fearful crisis, Earth found its champion, the extraordinary and heroic Captain Comet, who alone among all of humans possessed unique futuristic abilities that enabled the man of destiny to seek out and defy an incredible enemy that none could withstand, the Air Pirates from Space, by John Broom, Carmine Infantino, and Bernard Sachs. As reported previously, and repeated here by a haggard reporter out of Las Negas, six giant spinning tops would siphon all the planet's air within a day, emitted radiation that put approaching humans down, and shrugged off A-bombs. Humanity's only hope was Captain Comet, who had just visited the city to combat this threat. Back in an unidentified Midwest city, Professor Emery Zakro listened to the report over the radio. He recalled giving Adam Blake three times the amount of poison to kill a normal human, but left the future Captain Comet unaffected. It must be that my futuristic body is immune to this acid. This has been yet another test of Blake's abilities, which were proven again when lethal radiation from the top left Captain Comet with only a slight tingle as he raced forward against its desert track. Comet ripped the otherwise impervious metal skin of the top with his bare hands, making his own entrance into its belly. Captain Comet determined there was nothing inside but machinery as it was being remote controlled. Exiting the top, Captain Comet used a blackened piece of glass and his own incredible vision to see the radiomagnetic waves controlling the top came from near the moon. Swiftly returning to Zachro's lab, Comet constructed a spaceship with 200,000 horsepower. In minutes, this Cometeer craft sped its master to the dark side of the moon, where the captain found an alien vessel larger than a terrestrial ocean liner. Maneuvering through an open hatch, the Cometeer landed inside, where the Man of Destiny found hundreds of humanoid aliens in suspended animation. The craft seemed to be running on autopilot, but one alien awoke. And a doc who's there. Making instant telepathic contact, Blake learned this was Harun, leader of the Astor race. This creature has a brain almost equal to mine in power. The Astor were a peaceful lot from an airless world until a passing star caused land quakes, forcing scientist leader Harun to evacuate the population. Over a thousand years later, the ship's autopilot found Earth an acceptable replacement world. Once all the air was removed, Captain Comet girded himself for fisticuffs, but that option was dismissed by Harun. Instead, they would play a game of Echek, in which the first person to pick a white pellet blindly from a vase containing 100,000 black pellets makes the other their slave. Harun could detect the difference in weight from black to white pellet and picked a wiener in his fourth try. However, Captain Comet's fingertips were so sensitive they could detect differences in color and pulled a white pellet on the first try. A poor sport, Harun welched on the bat and fled the room. Captain Comet killed the tops' remote control, then pursued. Harun tried to revive his people to kill Blake, but the man of destiny had already determined they were all dead. Their corpses perfectly preserved for a century. Horrified, Harun committed suicide by throwing himself out an airlock. Blake tried to save him, but he wasn't fast enough to beat the ravages of outer space. While in his cometeer, the alien craft's autopilot reset, carrying a ship of the dead in search of a more hospitable world. What irony! Blake returned to Zachro's lab to strip off his uniform and secretly enjoy the global acclaim lavished on Captain Comet. Twice DC Comics solicited archive editions that were going to collect the early Captain Comet adventures, and both times they were cancelled. The two-part origin of Captain Comet has never been reprinted, but it was painfully, boringly recreated for Secret Origins Annual Number 1 by Roy Thomas, Ron Harris, and Bruce D. Patterson. For some reason in this version, the creators chose to portray Adam Blake's home life as being on some country farm, where in the original story, John Blake is shown wearing a tie and suspenders looking like a businessman, and their home environment looks very suburban. I can't understand why you'd want to make Captain Comic seem more like Superman than he ever was. It was odd, too, because Roy Thomas had stated that one of his intentions with the Secret Origins series was to render these seminal stories with modern artwork, and yet he found a very stiff, very retro artist who doesn't look as dynamic or even as contemporary as Carmine Infantino looked 35 years before the retelling was told. One thing that is consistent from the original story and the retelling is a 
highly noticeable subtext. Look at Broom's opening captions and Blake's emotionally troubled reaction to his mutation, separating him from all of humanity. However evolved Blake may be, he's clearly lost something essential to modern man that plagues him. Whether he was gay, had a micropenis, or hit a skirt under his spacesuit is unknown to me. But at least by 1951 standards, there's got to be something quote-unquote wrong with Blake for him to whine to a Stan Lee degree. I lean toward closeted homosexuality myself. For instance, Blake saves that hot blonde, nothing comes of that. And for the most part, there aren't any women in the strip, which is instead dominated by Blake and Professor Zachro, an apparently unmarried older fop with dandy Victorian facial hair. Zachro helps instill in Blake a fear of ever revealing his terrible secret and how the resultant media attention would ruin his life. These two spend all their time together. Adam Blake trains in short shorts when normally he's overdressed and rather dandy looking. And in at least one panel, we see Adam Blake casually disrobe in front of the professor. These aren't things that you could talk about in 1951, but they're kind of hard to miss through 2020 hindsight. And hey, those aliens he fights, all of them appear to be male and all of them appear to be naked except for briefs. I'm just saying. Relic Radio. Relic Radio Sci-Fi, old-time radio science fiction stories from RelicRadio.com. In Strange Adventures number 11, the day that passed came back. Visitors at the Hall of Fossils at the City Museum were shocked when a Tyrannosaurus Rex came back to life and began wrecking the place. In the city library nearby, quiet-mannered Adam Blake stares incredulously. As Adam Blake, library information clerk, I'm supposed to do a lot of outside research, so no one will notice anything wrong if I disappear for a while and let Captain Comet take over. The unique man of destiny picks up the T-Rex by the butt and then body slams him. Hard to stop a dinosaur with bullets because its brain is so tiny. But a good smash of the head, like it's getting, should do the trick. Similar prehistoric beasts were rocking the capital city. Captain Comic jetted to stop them, but he was halted by Professor Zachro, who revealed, Catastrophe threatens. Listen, years ago I shared a laboratory with an odd, brilliant man, Dr. Alex Philidor. He was secretive, never talked of his work, until one day he invited me into his chamber, his eyes glittering strangely. Zachro, I have succeeded. Prepare yourself, man, and tell me what is in that cage. Eh, it's a bird, of course. Behold, no longer a bird, but a fish. My evolution reverser has acted on it in a flash. The sight staggered me. Philidor burst into a wild laugh. My machine returned the bird to a simpler form of life from which it evolved. If I directed it at you, Zachro, you'd become a caveman or ape. <laughs> but your machine is useless, even dangerous. Take my advice and destroy it at once, Philidor. Eh, you're right, Zachro, of course. We parted soon after. I was certain he would keep his promise. Now I know better. Comet, the Tyrannosaurus, could only have been produced by Philidor, having trained his evolution reverser on a reptile. Not another second to lose. With the speed of the flaming missile whose name he bears, the Man of Destiny speeds towards nearby capital city. There he sees a Brontosaurus, pterodactyls, and for the most part, the city overrun by apes. Captain Comet realizes these must have been the human inhabitants of the city, devolved. He uses his telekinesis to knock back their crude weapons, but unfortunately he he himself begins to change into an ape. My arms lengthening, my face changing. I, I am an ape. What did I come here for? I, 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 uh, to talk. It hurts to think. Better not to think. Better to act. To 
kill. Get food to eat. But now Simeon Captain Comic jumped upon a dinosaur and began beating it, seeking a meal, seeking kill. Dr. Philidor looked on outside his window, surprised that any ape was capable of speech. Philidor captured Chimp Comet and began explaining, You, you must be the first man, the new Adam, and I created you. Listen, of course you can't understand much yet. I am sending life back to prehistoric times. Mankind is evil. It must be wiped out and start over again to reach perfection. You and I will be the only men left on Earth at. This room inside the arc of my evolution reverser is immune to radiation. Chimp Comet had heard a nerf, and with his awesome strength bent the bars of his cage. You made a slight error in your calculations, Dr. Philidor. You changed my body, but only slowed down my mind. It took a while for me to get it working again. Philidor bolted out a window to avoid the Chimp Comet. Unfortunately, the Saturnine scientist was then pelted by his own reverse evolution rays. Ended up as a monkey, but I've no time to worry about him as he was talking. I studied his evolution reverser. It works on the principle of affecting the genes by radiation, and on this I'm dead wrong. E squared C Y plus F X. This simple adjustment on the radiation frequency should reverse the effects of the machine. Your goals. And sure enough, it did. And later with Professor Zachro, he would have destroyed civilization if not for you, Captain Comet. In the Midwest City Library, soon after, you always miss all the excitement, Adam Blake. Let me tell you what Captain Comet did. Eh, go ahead, Miss Terrence. I'd like to hear. Next in Strange Adventures number 12, Captain Comet, unique man of destiny, born on Earth 100,000 years ahead of his time, thought he could never find a girl to interest him. But little did Captain Comet or his alter ego, quiet-mannered Adam Blake, dream that cosmic powers were weaving a strange fabric in which his fate was to be entwined with that of a beauteous maiden a million light years away, the girl from the Diamond Planet. The librarian Lily Torrance has returned, but where she was a blonde last issue and this one she has dark hair. She desperately wants to get Adam Blake's attention, romantic-wise, and she has a scheme to get a brand new astronomy book to impress him. What she doesn't realize, the seconds it takes him to flip through the book, he reads the entire thing, and then returns to being completely disinterested in her. But I can't help it if I'm a mutant, a being born on Earth 100,000 years ahead of his time. Of course, it's not Mrs. Torrance's fault either. It's just that no girl can ever hold my interest. No girl? Careful, Adam. Fate has a way of playing hob with any man, even with the man of destiny, when he makes rash statements like this one. At the observatory of Professor Zachro, Blake becomes intrigued by the flickering of a star dying out. He decides to take the cometeer to the sun to investigate. Even with Spectro Drive, the trip may take me a few days. Don't worry, Comet. I'll call Miss Torrance and make some excuse for Adam Blake not showing up at the library. Leave that to me. I must put Miss Torrance and all girls out of my mind forever and concentrate on my main purpose in life, the advancement of science. It's the only thing for me, a mutant, to do. Seems you are still tempting fate, Captain Comet, but what was said before about fate dealing with a full deck of jokers still goes. For at this very moment, on Hyperba, a certain planet in quadrangle FF17, there's a strawberry blonde by the name of Radia. She too can't find a man to hold her interest. The 19-year-old had visited her cerebro doctor, who had determined that she herself was an evolutionary quirk, far advanced of her own people, which is also how she managed to win the Sun Games over and over again, and now fought to shut the games down. Radia spied the Cometeer landing on her planet, but in a dangerous realm of the Green Ones. The Green Ones blasted Captain Comet with paralytic rays. Caught me by surprise. Those queer weapons paralyzed me before I could move. Radia managed to ride in on some alien beast, surprising the Green Men and giving herself time to grab Captain Comet and run. Unfortunately, they have terribly swift 
frog steeds that barrel after the couple. Luckily, the paralysis had worn off, and Captain Comet was able to use his mind over matter to hurl the green ones to the ground through sheer mental force. Then with telepathy, the two advanced beings were able to communicate with one another and see that neither was truly alone in the universe. Radia explained that all Hyperbans were forced to compete in the Sun Games, and the losers were shot into a rocket to their son, Vigo. You see, Vigo was a dying star, and it takes an atomic missile to reignite it to keep the life going on this planet. But an actual person has to be on the rocket to detonate it at the correct time to reignite the sun. Captain Comet looked into the Sun Games, and was soon challenged by the planet's leader, Chadro, to participate. His advanced abilities made him a lock to win, but Chadro recognized this, and he and his clever Green One aide rigged the game to knock Captain Comet out. Comet was consigned to die aboard the atomic missile, but Radio wasn't having it and leapt aboard ahead of him. Comet chased after her, and both were shut in, apparently speeding to their doom. Captain Comet investigated the vessel and found there was a time mechanism that would allow the warhead to be detonated without anybody actually being inside. Your leader, Chadro, for his own reasons, is sending people to their death unnecessarily. These missiles don't have to be manned, and we're not going to die. Using his telekinesis, Captain Comet was able to activate the Cometeer and control it to fly up to where the missile was flying toward the sun. Captain Comet and then Radia then changed vessels. The missile landed in the sun, did its job, while the passengers returned to the planet. As it turned out, Chadro had been using the excuse that the flights needed to be manned in order to kill any enemies of his regime. You thought we had perished like all your other victims, huh, Chadro? You've carried out your last evil deed. Chadro had a wicked tricked out owner's box, but in this case, Captain Comet was able to use his sheer physical might to rip the box out of the arena and toss it. Radio was then elected leader of the planet, and so any possible romance was soon quenched. Captain Comet returned home and returned to his role as Adam Blake at the Midway City Library, where a locket fell from his pocket. Lily Torrance was made aware by the picture of Radio that Blake actually was capable of having an interest in a girl. Okay, let me get this straight. Captain Comet doesn't have any interest in girls. Radia has no interest in guys. They meet up. They instantly see the value in one another. And then they form a platonic relationship where they each get to tell everybody they know that they're a couple, but don't actually have any sort of contact with one another. Either these two crazy kids have switched codes, or we're looking at some mutually beneficial bearding going on here. That's my hot take anyway. And probably a good place to stop with these synopses for a bit. Are you a fan of Doctor Who? How about comics? If you're a fan of both, then Doctor Who Panel to Panel is for you. This podcast looks in-depth into the long history of Doctor Who comics, from the 1960s kid-friendly strips to today's present comics from Titan Comics and Doctor Who magazine. I review stories old and new, featuring classic doctors like Tom Baker and John Pertwee, to the 12th Doctor himself, Peter Capaldi. I also interview the creators behind the stories, from authors such as Paul Carnell to artists like John Ridgway and Lee Sullivan. I also talk to production people such as Titan Comics editor Andrew James and Doctor Who Magazine editor Tom Spilsbury about their career and work on these great comics. Check out Doctor Who Panel to Panel on iTunes, Facebook, and download episodes direct from DoctorWhoComics.com. Speaking for myself, I was introduced to Captain Common in 1985 from his entry in the Who's Who in the DC Universe series. And I remember I didn't buy the comic, but I flipped through it at probably a B. Dalton bookseller or Walden Books. And I was surprised to find that there was mutants in the DC Universe and that Captain Comet was the first one. So that always stuck in my mind. I read his entire entry in the store and I just thought it was really cool that there's a guy who was established in the 1950s who was this strange hybrid of sci-fi character and superhero. And when I encounter him later on and stuff like 
secret society of supervillains, I, I thought it was, again, really neat that this guy was a period character. They never swayed from him being from the 1950s. They just explained that part of his being on a higher evolutionary scale than most of mankind was that he was able to live longer as well. So even though 25 years had passed since his first appearance to his reappearance in 1976, he hadn't aged a day. And he explained then that he had finally gotten sick of Earth's BS and had taken the Cometeer off to explore space and had done that for a quarter century and had come back to Earth. And just right there, there's so much to play with. I, I love that Captain Comic is established as an anti-conformist. His origin story involves his mother wishing he were just like everyone else and him realizing slowly but steadily and dealing with the psychological ramifications of his not at all being like anyone else. And it's interesting to me too that it's, instead of, you know, wallowing in that on Earth, he finally decides to just hightail it to the stars and enjoy life beyond what we know. And I also dig that he is an intellect. A lot of his problems are solved through his mental abilities, his smarts, his telepathy, his telekinesis. He can physically throw down, but he has a variety of options. It's not as simple as Superman who usually defaults to picking up something or punching something. And Captain Comet's kind of a combination of, of three great characters. Adam Strange, Captain America, and Martian Manhunter. There's a guy who's a man out of time, who has extraordinary superpowers, and he takes those superpowers off into outer space adventures. I think it's a really cool combination. Another way that he's like Captain America too is that when he comes back to Earth, he has so many powers, so instead of going the route of most superheroes, looking like a bully for beating up people that are less accomplished and less powerful than them, he's in Secret Society of Supervillains. He has so many powers that he has to fight an entire team of villains to keep himself occupied. And unlike Adam Strange, he kind of falls under this generic heading of space adventures. As much as I might like Adam Strange, he is somewhat hemmed in by the fact that he travels from Earth to Ran and back again, that he immediately establishes a relationship there, and then by the 70s he's married, he eventually has a child, so he's sort of hemmed in as far as some of the things you can do with him. I don't mind that because being married with children is not something that's common with superheroes, but you do have to tell stories about that family dynamic, or that character doesn't make sense. Whereas with Captain Comet, the universe is wide open to him. He can do all sorts of different things. He can do space adventures, and he come back and fight the Secret Society for 16 issues. You know, when I was growing up, you had to figure out which pro wrestler or action movie star you want to cast as your superhero. And even today, it's what model who spent hours and hours every day with a personal trainer do you want to play your superhero? Captain Comics one of those guys that Vincent Carthizer could play. He's much more of the thinking man's more average body type type of hero, and I dig that about him. I like that Captain Comics one of the only classic DC heroes who's never been a member of the Justice League of America, even though he came in second in a poll of members that readers were interested in the 1970s. I like that he's probably never been to Earth 2 and doesn't have some sort of parallel universe vibrational counterpart. I like that James Robinson and Paul Smith's The Golden Age ends with the silly carnival circus mystery men ceding their time to the representative of the next generation of heroes, Captain Comet. That supernatural and street level was giving way to science fiction and fantasy. I like that in the majority of his stories, even though he's not the most popular of heroes, he still tends to be a soloist. He's there as his own man and not as part of a team. And when he wasn't a team, it was the Legion, L-E-G-I-O-N. He was an officer for a four-pay intergalactic security force. And he was great because he was the anachronistic earthling straight man to crazy characters like Lobo and the fascistic Vril Docks. I dig that he's so powerful that he fell in the same trap that Martian Manhunter did in Mark Wade and Alex Ross's Kingdom Come, where they weren't quite sure what to do with him. And they finally figured out that the best option was to make him the jailer of the Gulag, the guy who's responsible for holding down all the villains. I like that he doesn't have one set costume. He doesn't have one set formula for his story. 
series. He's a guy who fits into places that other characters don't belong in, but he fits perfectly with those. He's just such a fascinating character. He's a utilitarian character. He's a guy who you can do things with you can't do with any other heroes. And the guy's name's Captain Comic. What's up to love about that? If you enjoyed the undercurrent music in this episode, please pay to download the following tracks. A Common Appears by The Shins, How High the Moon by Les Paul and Mary Ford, Tida Inti, Virgin of the Sun God by Yama Sumak, Monkey in the Family by Happy Mondays, Nasty Sunny Bean by The Cardigans, Tell Star by The Tornadoes, Swinging on a Star by Bing Crosby, and Fly Me to the Moon by Frank Sinatra. Direct currents from social media include The 108th Sage, Ange, Between the Pages, Cash Flag aka Al, Charlie Niemeyer, Chris Sheehan, Coffee and Comics Blog, Comic Reflections, Comics in the Golden Age, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Ed Moore and Ed Moore Jr. at Any Comics Fan, Teal Productions, and Miskatonic, Firestorm Fan, Flanger Hicks, FKA Jason, Glenn Walker, Guy Bieber, I'm the Gun, Joseph Crawford, Justice's First Dawn, Keith G. Baker, King Size Comics Giant Size Fun Podcast, Knowing Flame Comics, Longbox Crusade, Mark Danvers, Mark Sweeney, Matches Baloney, Michael Dabb, Nethead, Perturbed Renderings, PJ Frightful, Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, Richard Field, Ryan Daly, Scott Bachman, Silver and Gold Podcast, Son of Cthulhu, Stella Bad Girl Oracle, Style Icon, Synodalia Scarecrow, Tofurky Slayer, Trekker Talk, Waiting for Doom Podcast, and the Warlord Worlds Podcast. Joseph Crawford wrote, New Comic Book Day and New Podcasts from I'm the Gun, Divisive Issues, DC Bloodlines, 2000 AD, Enough Said Podcast. Going to be a great day. Firestorm fan tweeted a picture with the comment. Dang it, Frank. You made me buy a complete set of the 1993 Skybox DC Bloodlines trading cards. Sad part is I probably have a set in the attic already. Each episode is a journey of self-loathing for buying this in the 90s. Paul Hicks wrote, Loser. I had them years ago when they were full price. I'm so much cooler than you. That puzzle reveal on the back was brilliant, right? And Cash Flag wrote, Ugh, jam. Finally, Ange wrote of episode 9, Myriad. I have to say you are always teaching on this site. I knew about the death of Sasha from the funeral for a friend story, but never knew she came back. Incredible. My thoughts about Burn on Superman mostly mirror yours. I thought he gave new energy to a property that had become a bit moribund. Surprised you left at number 19 when the Supergirl saga was literally around the corner. And the Exile arc is very solid. Filling in some knowledge about the new Krypton and showing how killing the Phantom Zone villains affected Superman. I don't mind the cyborg Superman in the Reign story as he felt fresh and an actual viable villain from a power perspective. Unfortunately, his subsequent stories all feel a bit too rote. There is no easy way to capture and hold him so I don't understand why he isn't seen all the time. Lastly, you touch on how icky the Lex-Supergirl relationship was at this time and I have to agree, mostly. I think in Funeral for a Friend, Supergirl starts a more standard hero's journey. Realizing she needs to honor Superman's memory and more importantly, recognizing how much Lex is manipulating her. So this was really the last hurrah of the creep fest. This program is a not-for-profit fan production. Any copyrighted materials within are believed covered under fair use, with no infringement intended against the rights holder. You may leave your comments on the DC Bloodlines blog, the Rolled Spine podcast WordPress page, at Twitter with either Commander Blanks or Rolled Spine, or on the Facebook page. And of course, within the context of social media only, SPILL THE BLOOD! <laughs>